Thank you, preacher. Thank you for the wonderful meal. Man, that was tremendous. I enjoyed every bite I ate, and I thought about eating others I didn't. And I'm, uh, I'm trying to lose weight. I've, uh, my goal was to lose 10 pounds at the beginning of this year, and I'm doing really good. I've only got 15 to go. <laughs> so I, I did one of those uh, seven-day diets. I got it done in 48 hours. <laughs> so, no, but I am making some progress. So the last Sunday that I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church of Bridgeport is May 19th, and I'm determined to go out skinny. Er, uh, maybe not skinny, but skinny. Er, but a delight to be here. Excited about what the Lord's doing in the church. Love your building, just beautiful. Everything's so well maintained, and the food is wonderful. I got to meet many of you. Help me, because I'm not as good at remembering names as I used to be. I'm 66. I'm on Medicare, and uh, so uh, you help me if I repeat it. But you know, I, I do. I, and, and Pastor Kelly, thank you so much for inviting me to <laughs> to be here for the, for the meeting. Open your Bibles to. John chapter 12, if you would, please. John chapter 12. How many of you have never heard me preach before? Okay, you've been lucky so far. Your streak is about to run out. So I probably should tell you how it is I happened to come. Preacher was very concerned about this meeting. He was thinking about it a lot. And he said, you know what? I'm going to get the smartest preacher in the world to come and preach our revival meeting. And... Uh, he wrote, and the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. Well, he's a little discouraged by that, and so he was talking, I, I think he was talking about the God, I'm not sure, and he said, I tried to get the smartest preacher in the world for our revival meeting, and he can't come. And the God, said, well, don't worry about how smart he is, just get somebody who can preach, get the best preacher in the world. And Pastor Keeley said, that's a great idea, and he wrote, and the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. He was kind of burdened now, he's talking to his wife, he said, sweetheart, I try to get the smartest preacher in the world. I try to get the best preacher in the world. And she said, oh, honey, why don't you get the best looking preacher in the world? He said, I don't know. The folks hear me all the time, and I'm not sure how special it would be if I preached through. No, no, she said, I mean the second best looking preacher in the world. And so he wrote, and the answer came back, sorry, cannot come. And he was talking, I, I think he was talking about Honeycutt, I'm not sure. And he said, I try to get the smartest preacher in the world. I try to get the best, second best looking preacher in the world. I try to get the best preacher in the world. And Brother Honeycutt said, well, preacher, who invites your business? I'd never tell you how to do your job. But you've asked me, so I have to be honest. I think you're going about it all wrong. I think you ought to try to get the humblest preacher in the world. After all, that'd be a change for us. Give us a little variety, a little different. No, 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 no wait. I didn't finish the sentence. You're already thinking you know what I'm about to say, but love thinks no evil. A little change from the other special speakers that you have had in here. And Brother Keeley said that's a great idea. And so he wrote, and when I received the letter, I felt that I just could not turn you down four times in a row. And so that is how I happened to come. Preacher, do you typically stand when you read the scripture here? Okay, would you stand with me? John chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. It's a little different start. I've never started a revival meeting on a Saturday night that I can recall. Uh, but I think it's a great idea. I love the food. Thank you for being faithful and being here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover. What's going to happen in a few days? Jesus is going to die came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Isn't that interesting? 
had been dead. My father died November 4th. My mother-in-law died November 26th. She lived with us for a little over, somewhat over three years toward the end of her life. And, uh, and we never speak of death in the past tense. Brother Lett, is your mother living? Well, I'm not sure. She was dead, but I haven't checked recently. No, no, she is dead. But you know, when Jesus comes along, death goes into the past tense. You're passed from death and to life. And there was Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? You heard a lot of politicians talking about how we need to do more things for the poor people? You want to take money from one person and give it to another person? Well, read what it says next. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. Some of those politicians got a lot of money. I don't see them giving any of their money to the poor. This he said, not that he cared for the poor. What? Look at this. Though because he was a thief. And had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Lord, I pray that you'd guide our thoughts the very best. I know this is the portion of scripture to which you directed me, not what I originally intended to talk about tonight. And use this time to prepare our hearts for the work that you want to do this week and to begin that work. Help us to be honest before you. Bind the devil and his demons. Don't let them snatch away the seed of your word. And help us, Lord, individually to preach it very wisely as that is already pray. Help us again now for a moment determined to be good ground, to receive the seed of your word that you have for our hearts and then to act upon it obediently. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. You may be seated. If I asked my wife if she wanted flowers, she would always say no. Honey, you want to buy some flowers? No, I don't need flowers. No, you know, they don't last all that long. Uh, they, they, you know, the preacher was going to say something about the books. Maybe I will later if it seems appropriate, but I, I don't like to run an advertisement before I've given you a program. So I'm going to have a sermon first before I ask anything of you for purchases. All they think they things will help you. But, uh, you know, a book you can keep for a long time. You can reread it and look back at the flowers. They just wilt after a while. And, and she always said, no. You want a corsage for that banquet? No. But did you know when I buy my wife flowers, Oh, she gets out a vase and she cuts the stems off at an angle and she takes pictures of them and she sends them to the girls and everybody comes by the house. She says, look at the flowers my husband got me. We've been married 45, almost 46 years. And both times I got her flowers, she did that. <laughs> flowers are perishable. They, they don't last. It seems like a waste to some people. Revival. The word revive literally means to begin to live again. I took uh, life-saving and waterfront safety instructor when I was young. And if, if I was down by the water and I saw somebody that 
couldn't breathe. They'd choked and taken in some water, and I did what they told me, which is a little different now, but I, I tilted their head back and made sure the throat wasn't clogged up and pinched their nostrils and blew in their mouth and gave them artificial respiration, and they began to breathe again. You wouldn't say that I created life, but you'd say that person had been revived. They had life, then they weren't breathing normally, and then they began to breathe again. Revival is beginning to live the way God always wanted us to live. If you read through the book of John, you'll find some things God expects us to have. You know what? God expects our prayers to be answered. God expects us to be walking in the Spirit and guided by it, empowered the Holy Spirit. God expects us to be bringing forth fruit that remains. It's all in the book of John. That's the normal Christian life. Now, let me give you this little thought, too. We think revival is when God gets hold of those really bad, backslidden, awful Christians, and they straighten out. You probably don't do this in Fort Lauderdale, but uh, we have a thing in our houses in Michigan called fireplaces. It gets cold there. And so let's say you want to put a fire in your fireplace. It's cold. It was, uh, oh, it was 9 degrees below zero the other day when I was going to the airport. It was only 15 above. It was better today when I went to the airport. So here's what you do. If you want to have a big fire, keep your house warm, get you a big oak log about 18 inches in diameter, stick it in that fireplace, and hold a match to it and light it. Right? You want a big fire, you better light a big log, right? Is that what you do? No. You get a newspaper and you ball it up. You put it at the bottom of the fireplace. Then you take little sticks about the size of your little finger. And I put some this way and some this way. Some people make a teepee. Uh, and then you put some bigger pieces on top of that and some bigger pieces. Well, you don't do that anymore. You buy fire starters at Walmart. But we used to do it this way with the newspaper. And then when you set the newspaper on fire, it burns really easily. And the fire from the newspaper, it gets hot enough to set the little pieces of wood on fire. And that fire gets hot enough to set the medium-sized pieces of wood on fire. And after a while, you can put a big 18-inch oak log in there and it'll burn. When God sends revival, he doesn't start with the people who wouldn't even show up on a Saturday night. He doesn't start with the people that hardly can you get them out. You know what he does? He starts with the people closest to him. I just imagine these are some of the best Christians in the Bible Baptist Church. Faithful on a Saturday night, come to hear a guy you never even heard before, just doing what the preacher asked you to do. And in this story, we see an element of revival, and that element could be called surrender. It could be called sacrifice. We see a lady who gave everything she had to the Lord Jesus. Look at the story, if you will, with me. And notice, first of all, as we look at Mary giving this gift of ointment of spikenard to the Lord Jesus, notice the method of her love. Then took Mary. They're at the supper table. Everybody's there. A pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The first thing I want you to notice about the expression or the method of Mary's love is that it was public. All the guests are there. Jesus is sitting there. And with everybody there, <coughs> she took that ointment of spikenard and poured it out on the feet of the Lord Jesus. Do you know the Lord Jesus, whenever he called people, called them publicly? 
You know, the Lord Jesus wants us to let others know about what he's doing in our life. The Bible says, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Did you know that part of a revival meeting is people obediently responding to a public invitation to obey the Spirit of God as you've heard the Word of God preached? Did you know if God's working in your life, there may come a time, maybe in this meeting, maybe uh, sometime during the life of the church, the preacher will say, I want you to give a testimony about what the Lord's been doing in your life. I want you to tell us about a decision you've made or some things that God has convicted you about. And you'll be a little nervous and a little hesitant, but the Bible says that the redeemed of the Lord say so. So the method of her love is public, but at the same time, it's intensely personal. She wiped his feet with her hair. I don't know a lot about ladies. I should. My mother was a lady. I have three sisters younger than me that were ladies and one brother younger than them. I, uh, I'm married to a lady. I have two daughters. I did see a book. A guy literally, I was preaching in, uh, oh, where was this? Uh, Lexington, Kentucky, many years ago. And he gave me a little booklet. And on the front it said, what a man can do to understand a woman. I opened it up and every page was blank. <laughs> but I've learned something about ladies. Their hair is a big deal to them. Way back in the days before we had air conditioning in our car, uh, uh, we, we would drive, and if my, sis, my wife and her sister, her brother-in-law, the preacher and I, Brother Doug Jackson and I would drive along, it didn't matter how hot it was, we couldn't have the windows open. Because it might mess their hair up. Now, it's okay to have sweat coming down to your belt, you know. That's all right, but you can't mess their hair up. My wife will say to me on Sunday afternoon, honey, does my hair look all right? I said, honey, it looks great. Well, should I redo it again before church? I said, whatever you want, but I think it looks wonderful. She'll say, well, do you think it's fallen? No, no, this is fallen hair. <laughs> but Mary kneels at the feet of Jesus and wipes his feet, dirty feet, walking out and dusty roads in a place where there was no sewage system. No garbage collection system where refuse and stuff is all over the road and it was a common courtesy to wash the feet of the guest at your table. But Mary doesn't just wash his feet, she wipes his feet with her hair. But you know, Mary's always at the feet of Jesus. Martha's serving and Mary is sitting at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And this action of her speaks of her devotion. It speaks of her love. It speaks of her commitment. It speaks of her willingness to do anything she can to help the Lord Jesus Christ. I love your theme, the cause of Christ. I hope the Bible Baptist Church in Pembroke Pines grows again this year. I hope you reach new people. I met some people already that are about to join and that are fairly new in the church. I think that's wonderful. That's tremendous. But, but really, this church is about the cause of Christ. This church is about getting the gospel to a needy community and helping people grow and giving people tools that can strengthen their marriages and enable them to raise their children and teach them how to manage their finances biblically and how to deal with conflict from a scriptural perspective. And all that's for the Lord Jesus. We're his examples in this world. The method of her love is public, but it's personal. But think about not only the method of her love, think about the measure of her love. She had a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly. It was an extravagant expense. 
Judas values that ointment at 300 pence. A pence, a denarii, was a day's wage for a common laboring man in Bible times. So what do you want to say that is today? 100 bucks, 125 bucks? Multiply by 300. You're certainly in our dollars over $30,000, maybe more than that. And she gives him some really expensive I'm glad your buildings look so nice. They're a good testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our church grew rapidly. We just barely got into buildings. We never had enough money. We finally got to where we could start making it as nice as I thought it ought to be. And, and, uh, and I wondered, I wonder, is this going to be too nice? Because we got a lot of people who don't have that much money, but they were really proud to have a nice building where we came together to meet with one another and learn about God and go forth to serve God and honor God. And, and uh, I, I figured out, out, as long as you're not overlaying things with gold, you haven't overlaid done what Jesus or what God did in the Old Testament with the temple. But this, this was really over the top. A year's worth of work in a bottle of perfume. Now, people who don't love the Lord have a hard time understanding extravagant love. We had a family join our church many years ago over the Keeley from French Guyana, right at the tip top of South America. Their name was Jansen, Esther and Judah Jansen. Judah was an accountant, but he couldn't find work, and Esther is the sweetest lady, and she taught phys ed in our school so that she could get tuition for her kids. She's a great soul winner, always bringing her doctor in. They lived in a really poor part of town, and I, one day, got a call, and Esther said, I'd like you and Chrissy and the girls to come over and eat. And we did. Atwater Street. If you know Saginaw, Atwater Street's no place you want to live. We drove not Atwater Street. And she had the house neat and clean as a pin, and she fed us a wonderful meal. They, they had uh, uh, roti. You know what roti is? It's kind of like a thick tortilla, and you'd eat the food. It was really good. And then she had a French dessert that was common from her country because it was French Guyana, fancy dessert. And then she had gifts for all of us. This family was on public assistance. I don't know where in the world she got the money or how she did it. Nice gifts for the girls, nice gift for Chrissy. And I opened my gift and there was a green box in there that had gold foil writing on it. And it said polo for men. It was at that time the hot, expensive cologne for men. Now, I grew up using Avon. My mother sold Avon. My grandmother sold Avon. Wild country and, you know, soap on a rope. That's what I grew up with. And if I branched out a little bit, I'd buy some Old Spice. And you could get it at the drugstore, you know, or Brood or something like that. I, never, I didn't know what Polo was. It smelled great. And she had this verse in there, a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and she underlined the words very costly. And as maybe I thanked her, I was very grateful for it, I started wearing it. As maybe a week or two later, <clears throat> I was in a very 
nice store in Saginaw, the nicest store like for clothing and that kind of stuff. And it's closed down now like most things in Saginaw, but there's a store called Jacobson's. And, and there at the men's department on the counter, they had polo. I was shocked how much that stuff cost. Do you know how many bottles of Old Spice you could have got for one bottle of polo? Wow. And here's this lady with no regular income, and how in the world she did it, I'll never know, but she wanted to give something really nice to her preacher. I was touched. I was moved. I was embarrassed. Mary's like that, and Mary's gift is way more expensive than a bottle of polo cologne for men. Judas' reaction typifies the reaction of people who aren't in fellowship with God. Why are we spending all that money? You know, why do we need this new carpet? We could have just painted the concrete. How can we get those fancy signs on? How much did it cost to paint those vans anyway? Do you know how many Chick-fil-A's they could have bought? For the money that you spent painting those vans? But not Mary. Mary thought if it's for Jesus, it was worthwhile. But notice, not only as you think about the measure of her love, was it an extravagant expense? It was an extravagant expression. Let's suppose you've got cologne worth $30,000. You can't give it away and you can't sell it. You've got to use it. It's yours, but when it's gone, it's gone. How would you use that cologne? See, before spray bottles came, men always did this. They put it in their hand and they did it like this and then they put it on you got to whip that thing into shape before you put it on your face, you know. I don't know why we did that. Ladies go like this. Boy, if you had $30,000 cologne, you'd put the tiniest dab on your wrist and a tiny dab behind your ear, and you'd say, anybody not close enough to smell it uh, doesn't deserve to smell that good anyway. Man, you want to save it for a long time. Be sure the bottle was on tight. You would, or the cap, or you wouldn't want it to evaporate. Most of us would sprinkle it out a little bit at a time. That's kind of what we do with Jesus, isn't it? We give him our tithe and maybe a little offering. We'll come a night or two in the meeting, but we got other things to do other nights. We'll serve some, but you know, I just can't always be involved in that. That wasn't how Mary was. I was born in South Carolina. I grew up in, in Michigan, mostly in Detroit. My dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission. We were there from the time I was in the, oh, the middle of my first grade year until uh, I went off to South Carolina to go to high school and get out a little bit earlier and go to college. And fireworks were illegal. And so we really enjoyed them. But they're expensive. And we would buy black cat firecrackers. And all the fuses were stuck together in the center of the package. Remember that? Be a roll them here, roll them there. And we would take them off really carefully. If you, if you had the fuse damage, it's hard to light the firecracker, and those firecrackers are expensive. And we rationed them out. We were really careful. One firecracker, one frog. One firecracker, one, well. And one day my dad was out in the yard, and I bought the firecrackers. And Dad's going to go out in the yard and help me set them off. And my dad takes the package, and he barely opens it up, and he lights the fuse at the end of the package where the fuse is all stuck together still. And they go, bam, 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 bam. I said, Dad, you shot them all off at once. He said, yeah. Isn't it fun? 
There's something about surrendering. There's something about not holding anything back. Did you know surrender is the hardest and the sweetest and the most important thing in the Christian life? The measure of her love, everything she had, she gave to the Lord Jesus. But think about the motivation of her love. Why did she do that? Well, I think Mary was motivated by her regeneration, the fact that she was saved. Hey, are you saved? Seven of you are saved. Wonderful. Good. Are you saved? Yes. Forever? Yes. <laughs> Can you remember when you weren't saved? Remember what it was like when you got saved? Remember how good it was to pillow your head at night and know that whatever happened, you're going to be okay. You'd wake up in heaven. I had a mentor named Paul Vanham, and he went to heaven. He was a little younger than I am now. He was at a mission trip in Costa Rica and went swimming in the ocean with a missionary and some other preachers got caught by a riptide and drowned. Dr. Vanneman was the youngest of 13 children. His father died before he was born. Grew up in rural New Jersey, really poor. They tried to auction his house up for, off for taxes one time. His mother couldn't keep the tax payments up. And all the firefighters, his dad been a firefighter, went to the auction. And anytime anybody started to bid, they just reached up, put their hand on their arm. Said, no, they shouldn't do that. Nobody bid on the house. They got to stay there. In church, they said they were going to have a cottage prayer meeting. And Paul Vanneman, young man, maybe 11 years old, 12 years old, thought that they were going to go to that guy's house and eat cottage cheese. That's what he thought a cottage prayer meeting was. So he went, and they didn't have any cottage cheese, but the man who gave the devotional talked about the little boy who gave his, his lunch to the Lord Jesus, five loaves and two fish. And the Spirit of God got a hold of Paul Vanneman's heart as a little boy, and he said to, in his spirit, in his heart, he said, Lord Jesus, you took that little boy's lunch. Would you take me? You know, I'm to pastor a great church and preach all around the country. Tremendous man. And you know, Paul Vanden would tell me that story over and over again. And tears would fill his eyes. He was a rough, tough guy, farmer. Uh, I, I've seen him, uh, he had a few acres of land behind the subdivision, and I watched him pull some plants out of the ground to give us to put in our garden, wash his hands in the, wa in the trough where the cows drank, and then just kind of air dry his hands and drive to the church and do a wedding. But he would weep when he talked about Jesus saving him, and he'd say to me, I love him, boy. I really do. I told him this morning that I love him, and I do. I think she might have been motivated by her regeneration. I think she might have been motivated by Lazarus' resurrection. There was Lazarus that had been dead. Hard for ladies to survive without a breadwinner in the house in Bible times, harder than now. And Lazarus was dead, and Jesus brought him back to life. And I think Mary said, wow, my brother was dead, and now he's alive. And he was in the grave, and now he's out. He was, he was beginning, I suspected, to corrupt and decay, and now he's whole and well. And Jesus did that. I'd do anything I can for Jesus. Got any loved ones that God saved? They were on their way to hell and now they're on their way to heaven. I think she might have been motivated by that, but I know, I know she was motivated by Jesus' redemption. 
Because the Lord Jesus said that. He said, against, verse 7, the day of my burying hath she kept this. Now, the Lord Jesus kept telling the disciples, repeated occasion, that he was going to be crucified, that he would die, that he would rise after the third day. And they didn't get it. When he told them one time, Peter said, oh, no, no, far be it from thee, Lord. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of man. But Mary got it. Mary knew what was happening. Mary knew if she's going to do something for Jesus, she had to do it now. Aren't you glad Jesus died for us? Roger and Joy Powell served on our staff for 12 years. Roger was our music director. Had a beautiful little girl named Jessica. She died at the age of eight in a car wreck. I may tell her story later on this week. I don't know. It wasn't long after that, Roger and Joy stood up and sang a duet, and they sang, it was hard to lose a loved one to the grave. We have the precious hope that Jesus gave. God shall wipe all tears from our eye when we meet him at that land beyond the sky. Heaven's sounding sweeter all the time. Seems like lately it's always on my mind. Someday I leave this world behind. Heaven sounding sweeter all the time. Dave Austin came to our church with his wife Nancy and their little girl Stephanie. He had a big scar across his head. He'd had brain surgery and he had several more. And he'd bounce back in a day or two. The tumor kept coming back and they couldn't get it all, but they get what they could. And, and then it took a week and then it took a few weeks and then he got real sick. We had a father and son outing and I called his wife and said, Nancy, can I come by the house and see Dave after the outing? She said, sure, preacher. And I went to the outing and drove her to her house and she walked out of the house and said, Dave, He's gone. That was a Saturday. The next day, she's in church. And a ladies' group she sang in was going to sing. And I thought, well, she won't sing, but she got up out of her seat and she walked up to the platform, the rest of the ladies. And she sang, God's been so good, I can't complain. When I'm tired, it gives me strength to rise again. I get weary of the struggle of it all, so I listen. Oh, I listen for his call. And she's saying, oh, it's hard to lose a loved one to the grave. Just like the Powell's did. And then a few days later, we did the funeral service for Dave Austin. And to my complete surprise, she got up out of her seat in front of the casket and walked up on the platform and sang that same song with that same ladies group. His redemption. Where would you be without Jesus? So, what do you have that he wants that you don't want to give him? Is it a little more of your time? Is it a place in your heart? Is it some pet behavior that displeases him that you're not willing to give up? I read about a church out in the country. A man named Parker, Mr. Parker, had, had one child, he and his wife, and his wife died, and so he raised Susie all by himself. He was a farmer. 
Susie grew up and she felt like God wanted her to be a missionary. This was many years ago to the land of China. And so she raised a little bit of support and she arranged with whom she would go and where she'd work. And they had a farewell service for her in that little church. And it was sweet but sad. It was kind of bittersweet. First one from that little church to ever go out into the Lord's work. And they had some people sing and testify and pray and a preacher preach. And he got done and just before he ended the service, kind of spontaneously, he said, Brother Parker, would, would you care to say a few words? And the old farmer stood up, his back bent and his shoulders stooped from years of labor. Weather beaten face, hands gnarled, and he kind of shuffled as he went up to the platform. He said, well, I'm not much good at making speeches. All I have to say is nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. If he wants my Susie, he can have her. And Susie got on the boat to go to China, but she never made it. The boat sank and her body wasn't even recovered. Just a few weeks later, they had another service at that church, and it wasn't bittersweet, it was just bitter. And the preacher thought of everything he could to try to encourage the people, but nothing would pierce the darkness, nothing would remove the cloud. And almost out of desperation, he said, Brother Parker, would you care to say a few words? And for the second time in his life, but not too many days apart, the old man shuffled to the platform and he stood behind the podium. He said, well, all I have to say is what I said before. Nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. If he wants my Susie, he can have her. Heavenly Father, would you help us to have the spirit and heart of Mary who broke the bond, saving nothing for later, holding nothing for herself, giving everything to her Savior. Would you help us to have that kind of surrender? Would you guide me as I extend the invitation? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody's looking around. I wonder, was there something the Lord dealt with you about during this time in his word? Something he kind of pricked your heart about? Something you've known he wants you to do, but you've hesitated? Something you've known shouldn't be in your life, but you've left it there? Something you have that you think is too good for you, Jesus? I could suggest a lot of ideas, but I'd probably miss yours. But the Spirit of God will speak to your heart. And I wonder who says, you know what? There's a box I need to break. There's something I need to give to Jesus. There's something I need to say, no, nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. God's Spirit spoke to me somewhere during the service and I need to do business with him. If you say that, slip your hand up high. Yeah, God's doing that. I need to get some. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? Something the Lord wants for me. Some time, some talent, some treasure. Preacher, God's spoken in my heart. I need to do business with him. Pray for me. Nothing I have is too good for my Jesus. Thank you. God bless you. Who else? 
Now, you don't have to search and try to think of what it is. God will speak to you about it. But what you can't do is argue with him when he speaks. I have a sense maybe. You're just like I often am. Hesitate when the Lord speaks about something. I'm going to hold back a little bit. I wonder who would say, yeah, I didn't raise the hand yet, but I should have. Pray for me when you pray with these other folks. If that's you, would you slip up a hand real quick? God's dealing with me. I want to be honest with him about it. Father, have your way in every heart. Help each person who needs to to do business with you tonight. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name for what you do. Amen. Would you